Welcome to Occasionally Awesome. I'm Nick Youssef. I'm Kevin Christie. I just had a PB&J sandwich. How, did you feel like a child? Yeah. It's it's like such a childhood thing. It's so good. Whenever I make and eat one, I'm like, I'm 12 again. Yep. It feels great. Then I want to just go plug in my Super Nintendo mm-hmm. and then dust off my F-Zero cartridge, <laughs> pop that in there, set some records, I have, bitch. I have been playing Tetris on my phone for the last five days straight. I mean, I'd say I'm averaging three hours a day at least. Oh, that's not bad. Isn't it? I it mean, is. I don't think so. It seems bad. Especially for just getting it. Mm-hmm. Three hours. It's not regular Tetris. It's some different version called Tetris Blitz. Right. Which is easier, it seems. Three hours isn't bad. Because say you wake up and then do an hour kind of after breakfast something. <laughs> and then somewhere in the afternoon, do like another quick hour. And then yeah. like before bed, an hour. That's... Not that much. Imagine if I spent that hour reading a book on physics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. If you compare it to actual productivity. (laughs) Yeah, then you're wasting your time. Three hours is craziness. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Pretty addicted to it. But yeah, I I just deleted all... I mean, a while ago, I deleted a bunch of the games off my phone. I had like a folder and a half. This is the first game I've ever had on my phone. There'll be more. Because you're going to go, oh, this isn't bad. These iPhone games are pretty... What other right. ones are available? What other iPhone... Are there oh, any other? There are 3,000 games I can play. Are there any other games on the internet? Uh-huh. It's like and then you'll get a bunch. And yeah. then you'll go, this isn't good. You know, it's not a waste of time. Today's guest. Uh, yeah, this person... Is a serious person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's accomplished things. Yeah, like this... I mean, I would say Lawrence Vaughn was a serious person also. Yeah. serious job. Yeah. But th- today's guest, Joshua Rofay, who's a director. Yeah. He's a friend of mine. Personal friend of Kevin Personal Christie. friend of mine. He has made a, a super interesting documentary that I've seen twice called Lost for Life. And it's about uh, juvenile murderers that, re- that receive life without parole. Yeah. It's serious shit. It's, it's a good. serious movie about a serious subject. The documentary mm. is really interesting. It's coming out soon, and yeah, this isn't a we. We try. I tried. It. it I tried really hard not to be a <laughs> shithead and make shitty jokes. Yeah, me and too. I think I did a pretty good job. I made a couple, just kind of because you know it's a comedy podcast, and, and I'm a baby. Yeah, and he has a sense of humor. I don't know him. Really. Josh is one of the funniest dudes. Yeah, I know. that's the thing. We. It's. It's interesting. This episode. We, him, and I never talk like this. Most of our time is spent is spent talking about complete ridiculousness. Yeah. So this was, it's actually interesting for me to listen to because he's well, a super serious dude, yeah. but he's also really funny. But he made a really interesting. I imagine film. that makes it a lot easier to kind of interview someone about a very serious topic or film if they have a sense of humor. Yeah, because he wasn't being like. You know, because we make a couple jokes and he would go along with them yeah. as opposed to be like, yeah, yeah. uh huh, and then kind of move on and make <laughs> yeah. it look really awkward. Um, so we, we, I mean, we spend this episode pretty much interviewing him about, yeah, about this film. film and then the the topic around it, which is a, kind of the prison system and yeah, the U.S. and and all that kind of stuff. Super interesting, dude. Super interesting documentary. He gets into when it comes out, right at yeah. the end, yeah, yeah, yeah somewhere yeah. sometime in the spring. There's information online about it that he also gives out, so you can like yeah. Google the trailer and, and some it's other called stuff. Called Lost for Life. Lost for Life. It's serious, but it's informative. It's fascinating. Yeah, that's going to be one of those that's it's going to be on Netflix at some point, and yep. then everyone's going to be like, "Have you seen?" Yeah, it's cool. Um, so this, uh, and if you're listening to this right now, um, I apologize for the late release today. We had computer problems. Yeah, we we uh, we had computer problems, and we don't know how to fix them because we're retarded. <laughs> we don't know what a computer really is. Nope. 
it's a porn machine. It's to me, it's wizardry. Yeah, it is. And when there's a problem, I just curse the skies. Yeah, I never, I would <laughs> never. Okay, when you tell me there's a problem with the episode, I just like, oh, it's gone. Like I don't yeah. I even the possibility of being able to fix something does not exist. My mind immediately goes to. This, the file is corrupted. Oh, then this podcast is over forever. Yeah, like, I, I figured think. we were done having a podcast. <laughs> yeah. I thought that I was like, does this mean the internet's gone too? Yep. Like, that's yep. where my mind mm-hmm. don't know what I'm doing. Internet broke today. Uh, the internet's over forever. Speaking of the internet, please go to allthingscomedy.com <laughs> and look up our podcast, the other podcast. Mm-hmm. Listen to us on iTunes. Rate us and stuff. Leave comments. We've got a few more. We've got we do. Yeah, every time we tell people to do it, like one oh, or two more pop up, which That's is good. good. Thank you. Thank uh, you, guys. SoundCloud, Stitcher. Uh, listen to us with your mom and at your mom's house, house or apartment, wherever yeah, or old folks' lives. home. You know, you know, she lives in a studio apartment. Your punk ass mom. <laughs> <laughs> or if your mom has passed, moment of silence. Moment of silence. Okay, then listen to it with your dad. Yeah. Or your brother. Mm-hmm. Just a family member. You know what I mean? This Ours is a, a family, family podcast. Podcast. <laughs> it's like TGIF on ABC in yeah. the 90s. Except it's on ATC. Crap. Bam! Snap. Look at you with the letters. Um, enjoy this episode, you guys, and thanks for listening. Thank you. I wish I think there should be like a, a bad New York Street film film festival like where everyone shows their like bad black and white slow pan onto a homeless guy sleeping on a park bench like that every NYU kid gets like a black and white thing and they shoot like just street detritus and man sleeping on corner <laughs> but like, it's got to be like le- not not comedic in any way no not comedic and like then you pan serious. up to a guy standing on a street corner in like a rocky pork pie hat smoking long drag of cigarette flicks it he's like this is my world i don't know enough about film to <laughs> no no totally. <laughs> the, the one that i made i was i was 22 i was so drunk the whole time actually when i made it that the <laughs> this douchebag kid from nyu who was producing it mm-hmm. um like threatened to quit a few times right um but uh yeah it was called brooklyn battery Okay. Because <laughs> there's, there's a tunnel called the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. Okay. And, I mean, it's a total piece of shit, but <laughs> the, the, what's crazy is it was actually shot by this woman who, she's an awesome person, an awesome DP. Her name's Reed Morano. Mm-hmm. She's doing all this uh, great work now. But uh, we literally, we made it for like, you know, $10,000 and... Uh, is that like a small amount of money? See, yeah, like in my head when someone says we made it for ten grand, I'm like, I'm like, that's, that's a that's, that's a lot of money. Ford Focus, <laughs> but for a film, that's nothing. Nothing. Well, that's always they're always like, yeah, Clerks was six grand, and I always watch. I go, yeah, it fucking looks like it. <laughs> like, okay, so you, is, it, <laughs> is it different now? Where like, because now you can shoot people like shoot sketches and movies on like Canon like seven Ds or whatever. Sure. So it's. Does ten grand get you a lot more now than like ten years ago? Or you know what I thought when you said seven Ds? I thought seven dicks. Canon <laughs> seven. <laughs> seven That's D's. why we're not filmmakers. I know. That's why we have I'm a completely podcast. unqualified to take anything seriously. <laughs> <laughs> like a film teacher's like instructor's like, and then you're Canon seven D, and we're like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, can't take yeah. it seriously. <laughs> I think I could do more with ten thousand dollars now than I could. 
10 years ago. Is the cost just kind of shifted? Like where like the cameras now are readily available, but you still, the editing, I imagine, because you can actually shoot so much more, people almost have like editors, have, have editors become way more important? I just think now, well, editors are, have always been as important as right. anybody, if, if not the most important person, what especially is, in documentaries. What is an editor? <laughs> <laughs> For real? I mean, I, okay, how, how much power... Do you give your editor? Because he can really change what... They could make a whole film. They can make the film. Yeah. I worked with a director once, this director named Joe Pitka, and he's... Great, great commercial director. Great commercial director, meanest man on the planet. Uh-huh. But he was like, he only shoots like two takes, and he was like, I don't like I don't like when I see a thing and it looks like the editor made the film. He's like, I like to give him what I want to give him, and then they just pick the best of what I want to give him. That's a very different uh, relationship and experience. Than, he's also the angriest man in the world. Yeah. Then, <laughs> then I think, you know, well, he's also making commercials. He's not, yeah. he's not making yeah, yeah, films. Yeah. You know, I mean, you look at Paul. Uh, did you see Space Jam? He made Space Jam. Oh, you know, <laughs> he I made know. Space Jam? He made Space Jam. <laughs> wow. Punch me in the face. <laughs> Just to make up for that horrible <laughs> I mean, I, if you look at Paul Thomas Anderson all the way to then, you know, Scorsese, they have remarkable relationships yeah. with their editors. Because their editors are as important to the process as they are. Right. Um, I mean, you can go you know, on and on down the list. Any great film is great because they had a great editor. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise it just could be a fucking mess. It, Every it, film would be 20 hours long. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, the director's cut's always eight and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, I, you know I, I'm not going to say the name of the doc, but it's... Uh, it's it's amazing, mm-hmm. and it's one of them that's out this year. It's shortlisted for the Oscar, and I just saw the director's cut of it, and it's a mess. I'm not gonna say it's a mess. It was it was fascinating, I you know, but fuck, I wish it was 30 minutes shorter. You know, right? Yeah. Um, well, some a friend of mine saw Apocalypse Now, the the Redux. Yeah, I saw them, the and, and they were like, "Yeah, it's a, it's a, you watch it, and you're like, oh, I see why this stuff wasn't in the movie.' Yeah, mm-hmm. like yeah, the 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 shorter version is way better." Like yeah, what drives the director to want to do a director's cut? Getting to put in all the things that uh, you were in love with. Which, in a weird way, it's sort of sweet. They're like they loved this moment. They loved the take. They loved the performance. Completely. But most directors don't have final cut. It's a really rare thing. They're totally. like John Hughes had it for a while, but then they you don't, normally don't get it. Like you don't get final cut. It's given to the ed- or, or I don't know who actually. If it's like a is is the final cut kind of a, a I mean vote know, from everybody. It, it, it every situation is different. Usually right. the person who's paying has the ultimate say. Yeah. Um, but for me, being so young in the the game, right? As it may. Um, you mean that book? I, I'm so, I'm so uh, concerned about not becoming one of these, you know, douchebag directors who thinks that they know better than everybody else. Right. Because this you see that time and time again. Somebody makes a good film and then they think they're a genius. Yeah. And then they're and then they actually are never able to recapture what made their thing great in the first place, which was it's actually good to be surrounded by people who are more experienced than you, can tell you no, kid, actually yeah. you're wrong. Um yeah, you have to God, you have to be told no otherwise. Well, I don't think it's very hard to have objectivity about a thing that you're making yourself. I have a ton of problem with that stuff. 
completely. I don't have. I can help other people with their jokes way better than my own with their art with everything. It's just easier. You're so invested emotionally, and you just have a different experience. We're fortunate to it. though to have like uh, audiences every night tell yeah. us no when a joke isn't working. Yeah. But when you're making like a movie or something, you don't really have like an audience reaction until it's done. So I guess that's why you would need to surround yourself with people that are have made films before that are like, that's not going to work. Trust me. I've seen it before. Completely. I mean, my experience was I, I made my, it took four and a half years to make my, my first documentary. Uh-huh. Um, and we were in the editing room for about 10 months. Whoa. And for, I wanted to throw myself off a fucking building for the majority <laughs> of that, you know? Yeah. Um, because it was... I had no idea what the story was. I had been with all these people for so long, and I. You know, so wait, can we actually like? You can't see straight anymore. Can we, so can we back up a minute sure. and d- describe the? Because it's not out yet. Right. So my documentary it's called Lost for Life, and it's about juveniles who are serving life without parole. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means life without parole, not like you're in for good. There isn't some little kid version of that. It's you know, supermax adult prisons till you die. Yeah. Um, they're all guilty of very heinous first three murders. There's no question of innocence in any of the cases that we, that we cover. And yeah, so a company called Snag Films is releasing it uh, this year. Uh-huh. So what you did was, because 10 months in the editing bay sounds like a long time. Yeah. And then you said you didn't know what the film was. So that does that mean that until had, probably like month eight. Oh wow! It started to come together. So you Jesus knew you Christ. wanted. <laughs> that's so yeah. That's so much like. I'm just thinking about what month seven was like. <laughs> I know you're like, what are we doing? Yeah. Month seven was the lowest point. That's what you know. It reminds me of. I remember once Bobby Lee was talking to someone about year seven of stand up, and it's, there's some magical thing where it's like, yeah, that's the year everyone almost quits because you're like, what am I doing? What yeah. the fuck? Well, that that's it. I think. You know, you're you're faced with what you don't even realize is the breaking point. It seems to me that in that, from what I little I know about people that have made documentaries, documentaries are actually harder. Where you kind of you shoot a ton of stuff and you don't, you really don't know what the documentary is going to be. That's what I found interesting when you said that is because you went in knowing like I'm going to make a documentary about juveniles serving life without parole. That's Here, here's what happened. Okay, October tenth, two thousand eight. I'm at a friend's birthday party over here in the neighborhood. Her parents are, are in town from Panama City, Florida. Her father's the judge there. Uh-huh. He's been on the bench for over thirty years. I spend most of the night just talking to him and asking him about his career. I I just ask him, you know. So there were no hot girls at the party. No, I was going to say, was, was he really handsome? What exactly? You're like, listen, judge, me and you, we're talking all night. I, I'm weird. I, I'm more interested in talking right, to yeah. a judge than, you know, some fucking... I mean, how often do you meet yeah. a judge? Well, that's exactly why you've made a film, because you're not trying to drown in pussy all day long. You're like, oh, an interesting human. But uh, I just asked him, I said, what, you know, in, what cases and trials have just haunted you throughout the years? And he mm. told me about a 15-year-old girl who shot a cab driver in the back of the head, killing Whoa. him. Whoa who he sentenced to life without parole. And he, he seemed completely conflicted over the sentence and also immediately very uncomfortable and wanted to move on in the conversation. Right, yeah. That was it. I went home. I literally Googled the words credit card, signed up for as many as I could, had about 40 grand in, in credit cards, got a loan from the bank that they didn't know what it was for. 
Um, this like, had to be the late '90s, early 2000s. Th- this was 2008. It was okay. like right before. Right before you couldn't get a loan for anything. Exactly. Yeah. What actually? Were you getting happened? credit cards? You bought four houses. Yeah. Like they're just <laughs> handing shit away. Yeah. Now actually, you can't. I got, I got an extra car. Y'all want one? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now we can't get any loans. I couldn't. Obama. I couldn't get a credit card from my own bank. Yeah, this year. Oh, I couldn't get. They're I like, could, sorry. If I tried to buy a house now. They'd be like, "Go fuck yourself." I'm There's telling no you, October 2008, a sixteen and a half thousand dollar check showed up to my house. <laughs> what? So and, great. It, and it literally said on the back of it, "If you cash this, you're agreeing to this mm-hmm. this loan at this absurd interest rate." Or I mean, I didn't yeah. even think twice. I just sounds like the, the plot to like a mo- like a movie. Like the genie's like, "Be careful what you wish for." <laughs> yeah. But that was it. I mean, t- you know, two months later, not even I was uh, filming on the dirt road where she killed that ca- that cab driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name is Rebecca Lee Falcon, and I thought I was making the film about her initially. Uh-huh. And I spent my f- my first two and a half years filming these cases in Florida. Um, one of them, a kid named Kenneth Young, fourteen years old, black kid, Tampa, Florida. Mother's a drug addict, owes her drug dealer money. Drug dealer comes to Kenneth and says, I'm going to kill your mother if you don't help me with some robberies to settle her debt. Of course, the 14-year-old kid says yes. They rob four motels around Tampa. Not a finger is laid on a human being. Kenneth's the grab man. He takes security tapes. He takes the money. Uh-huh. Finally, they get caught. Kenneth gets sentenced to four consecutive life sentences. Whoa. Um, for armed robbery? For Is that some three-strike shit? For assi- no. Assisting... An adult under duress. You know what it is? Florida. It's Florida law is what it is. You kill a guy, they're like, here's a souvenir gun. (laughs) If you rob a motel, they're like, you're never going to see freedom ever again. Especially if you're black. Right, yeah. And the the judge said afterwards, I I made a mistake. I didn't know life meant life. And it was was too late. So if you're looking to become a judge, Florida, apparently, (laughs) you just say, hey, can I be a judge? And they go, yeah, we have all these criminals. Do you have retail experience? You're hired. (laughs) That's all you need. That place sucks. God, that's the worst. (laughs) But so, you know, it started the first few years with with those couple cases and a few others and just taking all these trips to Florida and, and filming in the prisons over there and with family members and victims. Did you ever go to Disney World? Never. Okay. And then... Hey, fuck you, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> and uh, and then I found my most compelling stories probably three years into the process. Mm-hmm. So I just essentially set everything else aside and, and focused on those. And Do you feel like you start out looking for people that you felt were like wrongfully convicted and show that the law was like showed that the law was kind of like disproportionate or could be wrong? And then you started to meet people because I've seen I saw I've seen it twice. And the the kind of feeling of ambiguity you're left with as you leave is really hard to deal with. Like, yeah. I left, the second time I saw it, I left fucking shook up. Because, like, I didn't know how I felt. And you kind of don't know how to feel. Which, to me, is what's so interesting about it. You're like, did this change my mind? Or I'm just like, yeah. Jesus, this is... Cr-. Like, there are... there These cases are very... Both sides are so... You can't argue against either side. It's really hard. Yeah, it is, especially considering that these people did commit these. They crimes. did it. They're not innocent. Yeah, yeah. But it's like it's what that one guy says. Like, are you? Are you? What is it? Are you? Are we going to? Are you your worst act? Right. That you committed when you're before your brain's fully formed. Right. Yeah. 
and th- that's what I eventually came to was questions of, of wrongful convictions uh, and those are important, of yeah, course. Yeah, but and, almost and, the easy way out. The, it, but it, it, it's a much easier thing to tackle yeah. than, holy shit, this person did the worst thing mm-hmm. somebody could ever do. There's essentially no motive in some of these cases. Yeah. What happened? Who are they? Mm -hmm. Is this... Oh, maybe this is a monster. Maybe this is a psychopath. Yeah. You know, I guess those people do exist. And then I wanted to just explore who who they were. And that you see that you end up seeing that some people who you would categorize as those things are not those things. And some people who you would categorize as... Somebody in the wrong place at the wrong time who grew up in the wrong household mm-hmm. is terrifying. Yeah. And so I I just think the only way you can judge anybody is on a essentially a case by case basis for lack of a better term and you know, that applies to this. Yeah. So that's why it was just like fuck it, we need to go with what the media would call the worst of the worst. Uh huh. And Explore who they are, where they came from, what they've become since their incarceration, and let people make up their own minds. You know, I, I think it's I think it's bullshit when a documentary just tells you how to feel. Yeah, you know, when it's something that is so, uh, it just it's you know it brings up so much conflict within your own heart and mind, essentially. Yeah. You know. You ever see Lake of Fire? No. It's a great date movie. It's an abortion doc. (laughs) (laughs) Great date movie. (laughs) Um, So Tony Kay, who's an amazing commercial director. Yeah. He he made American History X. Oh, okay. I love a movie with a curbing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Really sticks in your mind for yeah, the rest like, of your life. I don't think I knew what a curbing was. I saw that movie. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, you're like, I will never forget <laughs> Jesus. this. <laughs> well, he, he spent like 17 years or 14 years making Lake of Fire, right. this abortion doc. So he'd, he'd shoot some crazy high-end commercial for these big companies. Yeah. yeah. And he would tell his crew, I'm going to hire you. You're going to get this crazy day rate to shoot this thing with me. But then you're going to give me a day or two of your time for free on my doc. Mm-hmm. And... That's it, a great idea. And it's be- mm-hmm. it is so beautiful. It's in black and white. It's all shot on film. It it's as good or better than any documentary I've ever seen. And I like I am completely pro-choice. Okay? Okay. Yeah. But by the time I was done watching yeah. that film, I I was like am I? Or yeah. You, I, I've just seen jars full of yeah, fetus parts. Mhm. Um the fetus just looked me in the eyes. Hey, mm-hmm. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's what maybe a, I'm totally fucking mm. off base here. You know. Yeah, and I think that's what a good doc does. Which yeah, is just there. If it's a if it's a real issue, it's not a slam dunk one way or the other. Because yeah, you only come into like if you have a view on whatever abortion or like animal rights or whatever it is you usually just have your own experiences it's usually one-sided people put some thought into what they think but it largely comes from where you grow up and and um a black i feel like a black and white viewpoint usually is just someone being a little lazy 
totally. Yeah, they yeah. don't want to. They don't want to confront the real for the personal part, level experiences of someone having to go through that on both sides. Yeah, because for the most part, you don't deal with other people that are are going through these things. And like, how often does abortion come up? You just kind of at yeah. one point decide like. I lean more that way. That's just kind of where it's going to be. And I'm usually going to avoid any arguments on the issue. Yeah. But then when you watch like a documentary that like gives you both sides like in, in detail, if it's a good one, yeah, then you leave going, fuck. Like, mm. like Animal, I saw like, um, I've seen a couple documentaries on on like the food industry and how they treat animals and like, you know. They um, torture them. Yeah, yeah. And I, even just the other day, I watched like a 12 minute, it was like a clip no, I mean it was, it was put together. You know, it was like the what the meat in the video the meat industry doesn't want you to see. Mm-hmm. So it was like put together by some animal rights group or something like that. And I watched it, and it was like fucking horrifying. And I'm like a huge you know meat eater. I'm like, yeah, I get that they die. Whatever. I like steak. I want burgers. Like yeah. I need to have sausage on my pizza. Fuck you, <laughs> me, you know, animal rights assholes. Yeah. And then You're halfway really through this person. thing, what's that? You're a really sick person. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> According to this thing, I am. So halfway through, I was like, I'm. I don't feel comfortable watching this. No, because they're like killing, you know, like piglets and stuff. They're really bashing their heads into the ground. It's just yeah. guys that are like, that's how we kill this thing. Yeah, they kill them with nail guns and they do all this oh. horrible stuff. Oh, I know. Cows at this point aren't allowed. Cows, they some cows are completely ri- born and live their entire lives inside a pen. So when they let them see the sun, they fucking freak out because they've yeah. never seen it. Oh yeah, there's that's my my. You don't have to torture them. You can just kill them. Uh-huh. You can just have them let them live their life. And like, oh, it's time to die. But the, for some reason, the meat industry has decided to like basically torture somebody. Yeah, it's like they committed a crime. They're in like solitary confinement. Yeah, but when I when I finished watching it, I really was just like, I think I want to eat less meat. Sure. Yeah, you know, and then, try to find the notion of like what's humane. What, what is there? Is there a version of the meat industry that's humane of which there's not? But like yeah. you tried, you want to try to find like free range, like uh, that kind of yeah, stuff. yeah, that kind of stuff. But like, good luck. That was yeah, my that, experience after seeing Food Inc. Yeah, and I'm I'm the same way. I'm like I'm cool with the steak every day. Oh yeah, know? yeah. But for five weeks, I could not eat any meat, mm-hmm. chick, chicken, nothing. Um, and I to somebody who's a vegetarian or a vegan, five weeks sounds like a joke, you know. Yeah. But for somebody who my, that is essentially what most of my diet is made up of. Right. And I can't even stomach the thought of looking at it. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, that film had a profound effect on me and shared yeah. something within me. I think that's what, that's what they should do. Yeah. What, why else would you make a documentary? It's so difficult yeah. to, to do it. And yeah. Well, because it seems like making a doc, because uh, my friend Neil said this to me, because basically when you start making a documentary, you start and then you're like, and you hope something happens. Something that you weren't expecting. Because I, I feel like, I wonder sure. if most people's experience is you start out thinking you're doing one thing and then you start and then something completely different. You almost get told what the story is as opposed to telling what the story is. I think it's always like that. Yeah. I, a great example is capturing the freedom. Oh yeah. Which mm-hmm. is for me one of the best documentaries, you know, of recent time. Yeah, absolutely. If, if not forever. Yeah. In my opinion. And Andrew Jarecki, the director, he thought he was making a doc about up, upper east side uh Jewish family birthday parties that they throw for their kids and the clowns that they hire. Yeah, like they, they, the 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 entertainers for 
yeah for these these birthday yeah it was like this birthday clown's interesting yeah. <laughs> and it's just like damn right yeah oh i know and he was yeah i mean that to that feels like i bet you that's common like if you talk to like documentary filmmakers are like oh yeah i just went and filmed this thing and then all of a sudden i was like oh shit yeah this is fucking crazy but it seems because there's so much is there way more footage like when you make a documentary how many hours did you have I think I, I shot um, probably about 140 hours or so, and uh-huh. that's actually not a lot. It's not. Because no. the, the documentary is like 75 minutes? It's 75 minutes. Okay. So 140, 140 hours down 75 minutes. And that's not a lot even. And right. I, I only shot 140 hours because I, I was a, a nobody with no money. And, you ran out of banks. And, and, yeah. And, and half the time doing it alone, you know? But Yeah. Uh, I mean, people who... Have, well, you did it without a crew? Like, you just went to these places and... It was different all the time. Uh-huh. Um, there were times where it was... I, where I had somebody to, you know, to operate a camera with me. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually... I'm not really... I'm not a tech person. So, like, for instance, the Zoom recorder that you have. Yeah. Which I, I bought for one shoot and I did the sound. You know, I mean, it sounds fine in the film, but it was... You know, it's me, not a not a professional sound person doing yeah. the sound in in a especially a prison where, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but all those fucking vending machines—they're all on. It's noisy. Oh, yeah. You're contending with all these things. But yeah, uh, it took us 16 episodes to figure out how to bring the volume up. Yeah, and people were like, "Can you turn the volume yeah, up? We literally. can't hear you guys." Every like, response was like, "Can't hear it. Can't yeah. hear it. Can't hear it." Yeah, we had a mime podcast. Were you relieved though? <laughs> you were probably relieved. Yeah, like I, I hope no one can hear this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, how do you? How did you? When you first go to talk to someone, is like, the, do you feel like the first, I don't know, hour is them not trusting you, and then you have to like slowly. Is it? Is it the same? Is it a relatively similar of people's like trust? Or ability to talk. There are some people like super willing to tell you everything, especially in their situations too. Because the like the the news media coverage for people like that is like it's just slow motion shots of them going to court, and they're like, "Is this child a monster?" Yeah, and so that's like the 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 viewpoint you have implanted in your head. It's like they're not telling you that they are, but that's how they sell a story on the news. But then you come in and you want to do like a both sides kind of like documentary on what's happening. Yeah. Like, do they, are they wary? Like, oh, another fucking news guy's coming in here. You, you know what? I try to explain what, you know, when I first approach somebody and if it's somebody in prison, we're just, we're writing letters for months. Oh, really? Yeah. Before you're even... Before I'm ever there, yeah. Okay. Like, so you I, mail them? Mail them? Uh, snail mail, baby. Wow. <laughs> Except, I, actually, Idaho and... No, not Idaho. Colorado, and I forget what other state, you can... There's this website email system set up, so it's quicker for you to send it to them. Right. But they're... Yeah, they're, I mean, sometimes there's three weeks in between yeah. the letters. In yeah. Florida, you just walk right in. You just go right <laughs> into the prison. Yeah. yeah. You just take a number like at a deli. You're like, is 78 up? Can yeah. I go hang out? Yeah. We got yeah. an extra bed. <laughs> Florida. Um, but, you know, everybody's wary. Everybody who I spoke to thought that I was either going to be the reason that they or their loved one never got out of prison or I was going to be the person who desecrated the memory of their murdered loved one by making some audience 
that doesn't even exist yet feel sympathy for their right. loved ones. Killer. Oh wow! So, I mean, every it, it was it, it just it took time. It just took time, and just an, you know an endless sea of conversations. And I understand. I I would never in a million years allow somebody to film me doing even something mundane. You're being filmed right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're asking to them to just sit there and recount the thing that absolutely destroyed their family's lives. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah. got to be to a certain degree <clears throat> the people thinking that you may you're kind of the, one of their only hopes maybe. That does happen. Like like hey, if I tell my story, maybe someone will hear me. And a lot, I mean a lot of these when I see someone who maybe did something monstrous, you're like, no one listened to you. <laughs> like, no one heard you. Like, you thought you were invisible. This was you trying to be visible to a cer- certain degree. So, like, anyone... And, and then you're in prison. You don't get to talk to anyone, like, what, your cellmate? So, like, getting to talk to someone is just getting to talk to someone. Like, I, I watch tons of Lockup on MSNBC. Love and it. a lot of times these dudes, they'll flip out and like cut themselves just to go to the hot like infirmary to talk to someone for a little while like yeah i just wanted to get out of myself for like a couple hours wow. so if i cut my arm up i go to the i go to the medic that kills a couple hours and i get back you know it's just like anything to break like we think of monotony as like i didn't have anything to do yesterday like no 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 <laughs> like the level of monotony that is especially these kids are young they're 20 22 23 like like all right i got 60 years left of this all right of this routine I hate. Like, wh- that's what's so staggering, is the amount of time left versus the amount of time spent is so crazy. Yeah, they just got in there. They just became people. There's a, uh, a huge misconception that somebody doesn't enter an adult prison until they're 18. Mm-hmm. That's not true. You can be 17 years old, 16 years old, put in a supermax adult prison, and what they do is they put you in solitary confinement for upwards of a decade. Until Jesus. They, until they feel you're able to handle yourself amongst the general population. Yeah. And solitary confinement is 23 hour a day lockdown. Yeah. And and that, that hour, the hour they give you is usually spent by yourself. The hour that they give you is usually two or three o'clock in the morning. Uh-huh. They just bang on your on the on the cell door to see if you want it. And at that point, you've pretty much just finally been able to fall asleep because some new pedophile was brought onto the tier and everybody's been yelling at noise him. all night yeah. to keep him up so he can't sleep. Yeah. And now finally everybody fell asleep and now you get to sleep. And so you it's cold yeah. in this cement place and you don't want to take your hour in some other, you know, just slightly bigger cement room. Yeah. So you could spend eight years in a cell. And Jacob Eind, who is one of the the subjects in the film that was his experience. It was he literally. I mean, he came of age as a young man in in solitary confinement. It's so crazy. And I mean, Jacob's story is from the time he was four and five years old, he was horrifically um, abused in every way, shape. Is that or the form. one with the sister? No. Okay. Every way, shape, or form um, by his mother and stepfather. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. His mo- his mother would give him enemas to prepare him for his stepfather to rape him when he was five years old. And, you know, what a shocker. Ten years later, yeah. he shot and killed them both. Yeah. Yeah. And he's serving two life without parole sentences for that. Yeah. Which is absurd. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, for him, it was ages 17 was where it started for eight years in solitary. Man. 
and who's raising you when you're for instance you look at him he's you know if you really do some research on him you'll see that he's got some writings on uh, white supremacist websites right mm -hmm. and i'm jewish and he he knows that and we've i mean he's a friend of mine you know and I, i've gotten into discussions with him about like dude the the only people who are trying to get you out of prison are are Jews and black. Yeah, like what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And Wait, he, so he's a white supremacist? He's he's not, but he's, he's a prison white supremacist, which is a little different. He, he yes, you have to link when you go to prison. You have to based on your race. You have to link up with a group to stay safe. Exactly. So a lot of guys become white supremacists as a means to not get. Well, I mean, it depends on the prison. And depends like on how. the prison and how the prisons run. Modern prisons, general population, there seems to be not as much interaction. So also, like low security prisons don't have like crazy race gangs. And yeah, like, a lot yeah. of prisons are now segregating themselves to keep just to keep the violence down. Yeah. Like they have like basically black chow time and white chow time because and it's just a means to stop the violence. Black chow time would be more delicious than and white and chow. a lot more Fried fun. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, collard greens. But like, so a lot ceremony. of like the, you'll get a, a lot of guys will get like a swastika tattoo and they're like, "This is just how I have to be inside." Yeah. Right. Like on the outside, I had black friends, I had Jewish friends, I had every, but like in here, this is what you do because if I don't do this, no one protects me and I just get literally violently attacked on a daily basis and but there was one of. one of the subjects in the documentary didn't do that he went like islam yeah he like just it was like i'm out yeah i mean of that life of that life yeah, yeah. whatever sean taylor he 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 was a blood you know he was mm -hmm. in there for his first drive-by shooting he killed he killed somebody yeah and yeah it was i forget how many years exactly into his sentence he just, he just had enough. Go he's back a, and talk about the kid that that that's being raised. You said he's being basically raised. All right. Yeah, but anyway, you know Jacob, and uh, you know whatever affiliation, yeah, um, even just ideologically that he has with with white supremacy or white nationalism. Some of them, would yeah, call it right. Yeah, that's kind of a. That's yeah, a, that's, a, that's a cute little cover. Every man. time you yeah. hear the word nationalist, you're like, yeah. "All right, let's yeah. see how we're using yeah. this word." Right. But it, yeah, we exchanged all these letters around that, and I, it was so frustrating to try and break down to him how skewed his worldview is. Yeah, you know. And at a certain point, I had to just surrender and say, "Okay, so this kid, so you know, mom was uh, giving him enemas so stepdad could rape him right. when he was five, and that went on. They would chain him to the toilet for that, and then just, you know, beat the fuck out of him and tell him he was a worthless piece of shit, at, you know, as the years continued, and then he shoots and kills them, right? And then uh, nobody believes in the court that he was abused, even though family members, you know, testified that that, that did happen, and now he goes to a supermax prison, and he's in solitary confinement, and he's raised by white supremacists. Yeah, <laughs> it's like what? Yeah, what do we expect from him? Yeah, you know the fact yeah. that he is whatever he is. Like he was never given a chance, and still doesn't really yeah. have one. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. Like you this know. seem kid seems angry. You're like, uh huh. <laughs> Why is he so like he's so angry? Like yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, that's. I mean, you watch. There's that. That's what I found myself thinking watching it. You're like, okay. I understand what broke this person, but they're so broken. I don't know what 
I don't. I feel like you can't. Tr- if you put them back into normal society, it's like you're so broken. I can't trust your ability to make decisions. That was one of the great turns in in the in the in the the movie or the film. Was that you can call it a movie? Yeah, I, when I think movie, I'm, li- I'm like it, fiction. It's imagination, yeah. but a documentary a, is like a film. I call it's it a like skit. A serious. It's a skit. <laughs> yeah, just a it's little, a piece. Little seventy-five minute yeah. skit. I love your murder skit. Yeah. <laughs> when I think a movie, I'm like Secret Life of Walter Mitty, but a documentary about juveniles serving life. Yeah, I'm like, film. that's a film. It's a film, you guys. That's not a movie. It's a film. Um, <laughs> so, but I yeah. call it, if you really, you could call it a piece. Uh, that's what I said. I just yeah, yeah I said it's a piece. It's a piece. So. So for for the first however many minutes, it, you you get that side like here's what happened, you know these these the kill stories we we call yeah, them. and then yeah. like the you know the abuse they went through, and you're like you're like yeah wow I understand where this is coming from, but then there was one point where they you brought in a psychologist and he was like, for the most part, a lot of these kids you know uh, can be rehabilitated, but end up like whatever percentage end up re like committing crimes again or whatever. Yeah. And and then they go into how some some people like learn to lie and are sociopaths. And then when you introduce that side of it, it immediately cuts back to these kids again. And right after hearing this guy, then I start watching him from a different perspective. I'm like, this fucking liar right yeah. now. Well, the two but kids. 20 minutes ago, I'm just like, I understand. Where those two kids that killed their friend. Yeah. and I don't That know. girl. Yeah. There's the one who cops to it. Yeah. It's just like, I did this. I can ne- I I did this. I would give anything to not do. And then there's the friend with the parents who seems so coached by his parents, and everything that comes out of his mouth seems like it either was told to him by a lawyer or his yeah. parents. You're like, you're a fucking liar. And you you watch that and you're like, <sighs> and the difference between him and his friend is so vast. And you find like that's the thing. And also, what I've the the part that struck me is once you hear from the when when you have. There's all the people that are that are trying to get the juvenile lifers like basically out, and then they have a woman. You have that woman there, who had her child killed, mm-hmm. and seeing them in the room with her is is to me it was such a strong moment where you're like all these people have this shared perspective about wanting to get their family members out of jail, and then they're faced with someone who's basically a victim, and it, you just see that they're like oh, shit. Because I think they spend so much time thinking about the life of their person that's still alive. Yeah. And it's like, well, we get to talk to them on the phone at least. She doesn't get to talk. Is it her son or her daughter? Her three-year-old son, yeah. Kason, was killed in a drive-by shooting. Yeah. And you're like, okay, you get, like, yeah, it sucks. You got to drive an hour every weekend to go see your family member in jail. She doesn't ever get to see her family member. Yeah, her name is Charletta Evans. She's one of the most remarkable people I've ever met. Yeah. And she's somehow found a way to like come to peace with that thing. And you're just like, dude, she's amazing. Yeah, it's that thing. This stuff is. But yeah, I found myself thinking some of these people are too broken, and that is an, a terrible, unfortunate fact. But when you think about putting them back into society, you're like, I, it's not safe. So at that point, you're thinking, all right, we're sacrificing one for the whole. And it, you feel awful, <laughs> sure. But you're like, I don't know that I could trust you around people, and that and that's fine. And that's why we have parole boards, yeah, who almost never let people out of prison. Yeah, they it, really don't. There's a state in this country. I'm not going to say the name of it because I want to be allowed to go back into their facilities. <laughs> uh, but a, a, a member of the parole board, this woman, 
who shall remain nameless, she has, she's got a vanity license plate on her car, and it's and on the plate it says denied. Mm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. And she's the head of the parole board in, yeah. in this particular That's state some compassion country. right yeah. there, yeah. right? I mean, shit. Dude, so that's it, not cool. So that, that, that's, you know, that's why you can't, you know, juvenile life without parole, it, it is cruel and unusual because mm-hmm. some people do change. Some people were horrifically abused and then they killed their abusers. And because our system is broken, they've been sentenced to life without parole. You know, that's bullshit. Yeah. And it's unacceptable. And that's the same for the same reason um, I'm against the death penalty, which is how can you have something in place that we have already acknowledged has killed innocent people? A lot. <laughs> like, yeah. this, this is crazy. Like, yeah. Just because of that, we shouldn't. I'm accidentally kicking your dog. In the table. I'm sorry. Speaking of the death penalty. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, juvenile life without parole is. Uh, it, it's. It's an insane and sick, depraved thing to to have in existence. You can give long sentences to people who deserve them, but at least have something in place that can take a look and and you know look at mitigating circumstances. Did you just look at it when in doing this? Did you just look find yourself looking at a system that is so broken? Yeah, at a certain point, I I, I stop. I think my brain almost as a I don't. I think it, to call it a defense mechanism is is the wrong wording. But at a certain point, I stopped even thinking about the system. Yeah. And my my only interest was in the people. And yeah. That, that actually happened pretty early on, and I think you know you get that from the. I'm, sure. Is it a documentary about a big issue that's been before the Supreme Court twice in the last five years, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera? Yes. But it's really it's a, it's a character piece. It's about. It's, yeah, it's, it's an exploration of human beings. Yeah, well, that this, system would have been that would have been a whole another documentary. That, it, if it, it was it about is, the. It is. It is. And I, I just just for my taste, I'm less interested in all of that. I actually don't even. Th- I don't think you're even um, in a position to start exploring a particular system until you get to know the people. Yeah. Yeah. Within it. Well, you find yourself watching it. Your perspective changes from case to case. It's a case to case basis. Exactly. Thing. And, yeah. and and that is. But the problem is there's so many fucking cases. It seems like the one thing that you that could be applied across the board is that um there should be like rehabilitation programs as opposed to just throwing these people in prison and then being like, "Well, you'll be up for parole in 10 years or 20 years" because I'm sure the odds are not going to be in their favor that you know, they'll be released if all they did was sit in a prison cell with other criminals and then you know in some cases like learn how to commit crimes better you know how they well, say yeah, like some people thing, just yeah. end up learning how to be better criminals that's what you learn you get in prison out. you you get really ripped and you develop some real hateful perspectives and they're like and now you're out yeah and then they're up for parole and they're just like they they have very little remorse still and it's because yeah. no one was there to be like you know to I'll help you, them and i'll tell you about a place in texas okay um, that when you hear what they were doing, you're going to find it in you know really infuriating that it actually now is not even really happening anymore. Mm-hmm. But 60 miles east of Austin is a, a town called Giddings, mm-hmm. and they've got a, a an institution called the Giddings State School. You drive up, it looks like a mini prison essentially, mm-hmm. 
and it's for the most violent juvenile offenders in Texas, a place where they actually do not have juvenile life without parole, believe it or not. Really? Oh, wow. I'll be damned. That's shocking. <laughs> huh. Way to go, Texas. <laughs> and but they do have toddler life. <laughs> <laughs> you steal a toy. You get baby life. Yeah, you're, you're in for life. Yeah. <laughs> but they, uh, the whole program over there is designed to instill empathy within the individual. This is Texas of the United States of California. <laughs> of, of, of America. I mean, yeah. the United States of California. So that's the one. Wow. But uh, because, you know, why do you commit these crimes? Well, you, because you lack empathy. Yeah. You, know, uh-huh. you cannot identify with the person or persons that you're victimizing, so you can just do it. Yeah. How do they do that at this place? Or how were they doing it? They recreate their own crimes. They play themselves. They play their victims. They recreate their life stories. They see where they're shown, you know, by very skilled professionals. This is how what happened when you were five years old, you know, led you to do this at 16 years old. Is this somehow, do you know what EMDR therapy is? Yes. Yeah. Talk about it. Well, it's basically, it's like a, there's different kinds. There's kinds you do with light, but it basically makes you recreate whatever traumatic, it's a form of trauma therapy. It makes you recreate whatever trauma you went through in order to deal with it. Because apparently the way it works is when you go through a trauma, your brain, your brain has, the simple version is your brain has these folders. And normally if you haven't been through a trauma, your brain knows where to put experiences. They go in different folders. When you go through a trauma, everything gets scrambled. So then you, yeah. from then on, you put things in the wrong folders. So you just interpret things well. You just interpret things incorrectly. And that seems like, basically what they're doing there or what they are no longer doing there <laughs> yeah they're reformatting your hard drive yeah basically telling you like you're interpreting that wrong you're putting okay. it in the wrong place so yeah that's exactly yeah that's every state needs that yeah and now the one that had it and th- here's the thing they they were having this success rate. i forget the exact number but over 90 percent of the ki- kids who pass through the program passing means you complete the program you're released by about 21 years old, and you're on parole, essentially. Over 90% of, of those individuals did not violently reoffend. Over what period of time? Over a five- to seven-year period, Okay, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. What's you, the percentage of people in that same timeline that don't go through a program like that that regress? And I mean, I, I can't give you a percentage, but it, it's – I mean, people are – back in within a year usually okay you know um but yeah and if they if you do not complete the program you fail you know mm. in quotes you can put fail they you're you, because you're deemed a sociopath you have no ability to yeah you know even develop empathy then you are sent to adult prison to go serve your 40-year sentence or right whatever it is but uh but yeah now i just found out that you know even in Texas, the, Tex- the Texas Youth Commission is just a total disaster, and yeah. that program is just... Well, I found channels. myself thinking when you were like 90% success rate, in my head I was like, well, the problem is the 10% commit a vi- The stakes are so high. They are. That's the thing at that level. And that's why we're talking about yeah, this. Cause yeah, because the 10%, some of them, did, they didn't go out and like steal a bike. 10% of like violent recidivism person. is murder, unfortunately. And so you're just like, is it worth... It's the only time where ninety ten is like a low percentage where you're like, no, we kind of need 100 with this one. Totally. For, for me to be on board, you're like, no, 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 we need 100 because it could mean like a dead child or a dead, you know, it's like family membership. We're like, dude, that's sorry. 
You know, you can see, you can hear, that's the thing. You can hear the valid arguments on both sides of this yeah. the entire time. It's, it's hard, you're hard pressed to find a more difficult, a gray area that's harder to, to deal with. Yeah, I, it really is because what's you can't fall on either side and feel like you're being humane because both on, are inhumane. Yeah, on the one end you're like, well, we can't release these people and you know have them potentially kill someone else, but then you can't you be for a society that just locks everybody up. Yeah, and then just throws away the key because you know you don't want yeah. them to die. You want everyone else to ha- die, at, at this point in, in society. I feel like most people have empathy. For people that fight back against being abused. Right. So, but then how do you go, you, if you walk it back, and if you, most of the time when you talk to these people, if there wasn't something as obvious as being sexually abused by your parents every day, the, it seems like the, when you talk to them, if you just talk to them, you find it eventually. You're like, oh, okay, you didn't stand a chance. With almost everyone who commits, I mean, do you, do you, Find yourself ever talking to any of these people and being like, oh, you're a pure sociopath and I can't figure out why. Okay. There's uh, and obviously this will make more sense for, you know, once people, the film will be out, you know, around springtime. springtime. Of this year? Of this year. Okay. But, um, you know, there's trailers and reviews and stuff from festivals that people can find online. But uh, the case in Idaho, which was the most difficult one, these two kids, 16 years old, they decided they were going to kill their classmate, right. a 16-year-old girl. They were two guys. And they picked up a home movie camera and filmed themselves for a week talking about it and you know, apologized to their family, to her family, that they have to do, sorry, we have to do this, but yeah. it was perfect. And it was just a, a week of them filming just psychotic, disturbing shit. Yeah. Filming her at her locker the morning of the night that they said they were going to kill her. And then that night, they they stabbed her 29 times. And, Whoa. And you had mentioned them before, Kevin. You know, one of them, Brian Draper, takes complete ownership over, mm-hmm. you know, his role in the crime. And Tori Adamchik, uh, the, the other uh, defendant, says, you know, I was... Not aware this was going to happen. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I I'm thought it innocent. was a joke. Yeah, yeah, I was in the car when it happened. Yeah, um, which is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and all you need to do is look at all the evidence to, to see that. Yeah. Um, I understand Tori and his family less today mm-hmm. than, than I did before I ever met them. Right. Huh. I have no idea what went wrong there. I don't know what that secret is in that family. You know, yeah. I, I don't know what it is. It's it's something. It's there, but I don't know what it is. Brian Draper, you can look, and I have a very close relationship with his parents, um, and I have a tremendous amount of empathy uh, for him, due to the fact that he, you know, has completely owned up to to what he's done and is existing in hell and thinks that he probably deserves to actually be where he is. Yeah, and yeah. I, and I I can respect that, actually. Yeah. But, uh, all right, so if you're going to go back in Brian's story, you know, a, a kid who, he's one of two kids who stabbed a, a girl 29 times, right? What, what, what went wrong? Okay, well, he wasn't abused, so we can, that's off the table. Right. Oh, well, he was adopted. Okay, well, 
So what does that mean? All right, well, his, his birth mother was she, was, she was drinking, she was on drugs. He was born, you know, very premature, had a, some heart troubles. We know that that kind of, you know, substance abuse during a pregnancy could have a, a, a really traumatic eff- effect on brain development. Right. But that's really as far as you can take it. You know, yeah. And, uh, there's a lot of people who come out of situations like that, and they never kill anybody. Yeah. So it's not always just this completely, you know, concrete, crystal clear line that we can draw to why somebody could do something so incredibly psychotic. Yeah. Um, but then, even so, does that does that mean that we need to th- that we should say goodbye to them forever? You know. Yeah. Um, Especially when he's the one you find yourself not empathizing with or identifying with, but you're like, all right, at least you're being as honest as you think you can be, right? Like, he's like, I, I don't deserve any sympathy. I did this thing, and the only thing I can do is not lie about it. Right. He's basically, doesn't he, he kind of says it at one point. He's like, I, it would be so much worse if I was to, like, lie about what happened yeah. and, and that it happened. He was, like, the one case, the m- most... Um, that there are, where I was like, there's a reason why you shouldn't just lock someone up and throw away the key forever. Like that's a great reason. Like this guy's not, in my opinion, this guy's not done. He's not fully rehabilitated, ready to be out in you know in in public and like getting a yeah. job and having relationships with people. But he's certainly more on his way than a lot of other people. And you normally only see the examples of like total sociopaths or something like and that but at the same time the foot the video footage of those two dudes the video they made leading up to killing her is the some of the most disturbing stuff in the film where you're yeah. like God, i mean just makes your stomach turn where you're like you what do you guys do like what are you doing here it's it's it sounds like they're talking about a video game and it's just yeah, or like, they were trying to make a, a movie like yeah. how they mentioned scream like they were trying to like hey well, let's make our own version of scream but then they actually like went through with it for what you know whatever reason but but when you what when i watched that kid brian brian's his name he um like just you know talking about what he did and his actions and stuff it didn't even seem like he was doing it to like impress anyone to get out of prison earlier he was just like i did this when i was younger i'm now aware of what it is and i'm going to spend the rest of my life either in here or wherever trying to like you know overcome this and like really process it all and like move past it whether it's in here or wherever and like you know uh become like a better person you know yeah even in there yeah yeah he um, i think in a weird way he felt like uh if doing this interview is like the maybe the one thing i can do it was the first time he ever spoke to anybody about it. Yeah. And anybody, I mean, outside. Because he looks uncomfortable as shit. He's shaking a, the whole time. The stutter yeah. thing, when he would speak about the actual ev- uh, event, the murder, yeah. he would start to get this stutter. Yeah, just when you... Wa- well, his interview that was the most, like... That was the most emotional for me, where I was just yeah. like, I'm getting uncomfortable now. This guy's stuttering. I feel like I can't think straight, you know? Um, that was the last thing that that we shot, actually. Really? Yeah. That, I mean, the the whole film really hinged on on that interview because he was just so raw and and ready to talk. In a, you know, it, 
you know, Jacob, who was abused by his parents, it's, I mean, he's really young now. He's 35 only, but he's, the murder happened 20 years ago. He was 15 years old. And, mm-hmm. You know, that's a lot of distance. But th- this was really fresh. When I interviewed Brian, it had been six years wow. since the murder. And, you know, he'd never spoken to anybody outside of his parents or a lawyer oh, wow. about it. So yeah. uh, he was, you know, he was, he was there. Yeah. You know? I mean, it must have been a, just a relief in a weird way. It must have been a relief for him to be just tell, like... The crazy thing is, every single time I would leave one of these prisons, um, you know, and they're all out in the middle of nowhere. You know, you drive four hours to get there. And by the end of the drive, I, I would get uh, either, you know, a text or an email or a phone call from either a, a parent or a, or a sibling of of the juvenile lifer. Right. And they would tell me that they got a call from their, you know, loved one, their son or brother, and what a great experience they had yeah. doing the interview. And, you know, I'm just, I'm sitting there for four hours with them, just not letting up, hammering away, talking about the, the most awful thing they ever did that destroyed not only their life, but everybody they've ever met's life. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's, uh, <coughs> I guess that's why people go to therapy. You, know, it, it, well, you it, can't, it, it's hard to think of a place you're less listened to than prison if you're a prisoner. A, completely. they're just like, shut up, go to your cell, which I'm not saying they don't deserve that. But also, everyone there did something heinous. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, me too. What, do we need it? Can't we talk about something else? Yeah, no, nobody talks about their crimes. I mean, that talk yeah, about yeah, a, they a don't. place that lacks humanity. Yeah. Um, and we're, and the people who need it the most, if they're to become anything other than someone who belongs locked up in a cell. A couple of guys said they had like mentors or people that were like, that Brian kid was an example where he was like, this guy I met, you know, told me like, the first thing you got to do is just own up, like own up to it. If you keep lying about it, you're never going to get anywhere. Right. It'll just be more of a personal hell for you. Yeah. Whatever. But yeah, you'd have to imagine those numbers are so low. But the fact that like a couple of these guys found a person that was in the prison and said, you need to admit to this and then you can start working forward. Like if every prison had a program that did that, that offered that, you would imagine they would, it would just help so many more people. All that stuff is just about money, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And now a lot of prisons are being taken over by these private contracting like crazy private prisons that are just for-profit prisons yeah and they could give i mean it's in their best interest for just more people to be incarcerated for longer periods of time right 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 so the notion that this that's that's one of the sad things is this getting better is it's the it, it's hard to like look at it and be like oh look it's improving like you have act you basically have you i feel like you have more activists but they're they're faced with a larger obstacle because it's all just finance I mean, you hear about all the time these a lot of these minimum mandatory minimums and things are being lobbied for and driven by these private co- private prisons, basically because they're for profit prisons. Yeah, and so the notion that like while you have activists and people like you making things like this, you're up against a lot of money. Oh, totally, a lot of money, and and it. I that's the thing you le- you're left at the end of this documentary being like. Man, I don't know what I don't know what we're gonna do here, because on a human level, on a on a structural level, it's all these. It's just these are the hardest questions to ask. 
of all time. They, that's the thing. You made a documentary about the 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 toughest questions because it is life and death. Every single answer is life or death. Yeah. And you're asking someone to you're asking someone to be to like forgive someone for death. In yeah, order you're asking to people it. to gamble essentially yeah. on on your faith in humanity. Yeah, is you're what asking you're doing. someone to gamble against death again, and you're like, Ugh. well, the film isn't asking you to do that. No, but yeah, I think it, when you're the, done, the you're left of, with yeah, yeah the so notion of forgiveness. Yeah, you're thinking that yourself. Yeah, that's what yeah. I, I was like. I I couldn't. Like I th- watching it, I was like, I wonder how this is going to change my perspective, and it just made me it 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 made it like more difficult in my mind. Like I don't know how I feel about it. I think it is like a case by case thing. The problem is there's just so many cases. Sure, but I think that's the healthiest viewpoint. Yeah, because you can't if you're if someone just a blanket viewpoint on something like this is just it's a cop out. Yeah. It, it is, yeah. It's, it's, know, this is so much more nuanced than that. Well, because I think a lot of that is that they're quite, the, the, people come up with those blanket statements because actually doing the like intellectual thought is hard. Well, it's also hard for a lot of people to realize that, uh, to be comfortable with the idea that there is no answer. There is no black or white. Like, you know, how do you feel with the death penalty? Yes or no? It's yeah. like, well, what about, it depends. Yeah, right. on you know, right. on 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 the case or whatever, and the same with these juvenile offenders. Like you can't just be like, if you kill someone, life in prison. I don't give a fuck how old you are. Yeah, some people aren't comfortable with the idea that like I don't know. Maybe like everyone is. Every case is absolutely different. A lot of people don't want to like be okay with the unknown, with like a possibility or a maybe or something like that. I I have a or I I had a friend, this guy. He passed away, unfortunately. I, I found out months after it happened. I hadn't spoken to him in a while. This Mexican man in his late 50s here in Echo Park, he was, you know, an East L.A. gangbanger in the 70s. And on Christmas Eve, he stabbed somebody and killed them in, at some nightclub, you know, in, in this part of town back in the day. And he got sentenced to 15 to life. Mm-hmm. And... After 31 years, and all all of his time was in uh, San Quentin, I believe. Yikes! And, yeah, actually, San Quentin he, is serious. Oh yeah, he told in me in the he, 70s and 80s. He said that he he without a doubt he probably witnessed right in front of his eyes a ballpark figure he gave was about 80 murders. Yeah. Um, Jesus. They he, just used to let you fight in that prison in the 70s like it was gladiator shit. But he was paroled after 31 years, mm-hmm. and. He was an absolutely amazing human being, um, and I got to know him for a couple of years, and and uh, he changed. You know, he wasn't whatever he was. You know, he so he went from some crazy gangster who fucking stabbed somebody to death on Christmas Eve, right, to rolling around with me, this Jewish kid, like in my Prius. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, um, and he he was a sweetheart of a guy. Um, yeah. People change, you know. Yeah. Even people who murder, and who you think have no conscience, and who are just animals, they they can change. Yeah, you're basically. You, it's about how, like, I guess, having faith in humanity—the same humanity that did a terror as, as as capable someone is of something horrific. It's almost as miraculous to come back from something that horrific. Completely. But I com- But I. I and I'm not saying everybody does. Yeah, and I completely understand the other movements. Like, nope, sorry. 
Stakes are too high. I grew up with a kid that's in jail right now for the exact same thing that this... Uh, Can I guess his name? I'm, Brandon Hain? No. What was his name? The kid that's in jail? Yeah. His name is Michael Derm- Dermigian. Dermigian? I think that's how you pronounce it. Did the, was, it a, was it over weed and it was like a cop's son who got killed? I don't know if it was a cop's son, but it was over drugs. Yeah. It happened in La Crescenta. Oh, wow. It was a double homicide, like a bludgeoning. Wow. Like it was like gruesome in, yeah. an ele- um, ele- in an elementary school, like af- after hours, but that's where the, the murder took place. I grew up next door to this kid, and then they moved away, and then they ended up moving back to the, to the city, but like kind of, you know, 10 blocks, 12 blocks away or something like that. But they were still like family friends. And then in like the summer of like 2000 is when this happened. We just saw it on the news. And then I'm like, I know that kid. I know yeah. his parents. Like I still see them every once in a while. And uh and it was the same case of like he he went to jail for it. There were like potential other potential suspects that and then they eventually were no longer persons of interest. And then he was charged with like a, the double murder and then he got like two 25-year sentences or something, 25 to life sentences consecutively mm. or whatever. Um but it was like something that's that was never like talked about they don't talk to the press they they say that he didn't do it and he says he didn't do it uh or he was just there it was one of those the story changed a lot and i remember when it first happened because i was 18 at the time it happened and i hadn't really seen the kid in a few years or whatever all the details started to come up and i started to read about it but the more murky the details became and the more it was like maybe he did it the, the more distance I just put b- in between myself and the story. Because I was like, if I start to think he did this, I have to, you know, what if his parents asked me or something like that? Yeah. I'm, will I be able to lie and be like, you know, I'm totally with you? Or do I tell the truth and then they're going to think... Yeah, imagine saying to his parents, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you it's can't. Like, what do you mean? You can't. Even if yeah. you really don't know... That those are two people you can't be like. Look, I think your kid may have done something. Well, the horrific. parents of the kid, the two, the two guys that killed the girl, you can tell they just have blinders on. It's their little baby. Their baby couldn't have done something like this, uh-huh. and they're just they don't see they they have the, and you can't you kind of can't blame them. You're like, of course you can't come to terms with sure. this because it's too hard. But you clearly aren't seeing what everyone else is seeing watching this. It's actually a worse a worse nightmare. To have to live than having your own child murdered, uh, I've been told mm-hmm. and witnessed. I, I, I think in a way that proved it is trying to come to terms with the fact that your child did the murdering. How do you not feel a little bit like a murderer if you raised a murderer? I mean, can you imagine the the failure that? Oh, that, oh, that, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, where did I go wrong? Yeah. You know, I mean, how did we go this wrong? Well, you hear the parents of the other kid and they're asking, they're like, what did, what did, could we have done something? They're still, they still lay awake at night. That, well, that's their life. Yeah. That's, the, I mean, that's probably what they think about most of the time. Absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, dude, I, I, I've seen it twice. It's compelling as shit. Like, the, I, I didn't stay for the question and answer of the second screening because i literally felt i didn't feel well <laughs> like i was like i gotta i i felt like i've that that shit shook me up 
Like it's it's really fascinating. It's good. That the best documentaries do that where you're yeah. like, God damn it, what the hell is <laughs> yeah. wrong with this world? <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's the only thing you could think. <laughs> like, what is going on? Yeah. You know? So I mean you should be really proud of yourself. Thanks so much. You did a good job. Yeah, the idea of putting making a documentary because it's just it's the scope of it is so huge because in my head, and I've never written like a move like a fiction movie based on fiction, but in my head that is like oh you just make it you can make up anything yeah you can just make up a story, but with a documentary there's like there are there are facts there's things that actually happen and then like this overwhelming responsibility to like tell both sides of a story you know and do it right yeah but that to me is like how do you even I would never I know I know. I don't want yeah, that's why I, I I end up liking them so much more because yeah. someone actually puts the time in to get all this information and like and bring it to you. And there's now like more access than ever to to like documentaries and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Before you're like, I'd have to find some art house theater that's airing one, and then maybe it'll be at a blockbuster or right. something. And now they're all over the internet, all over Netflix. I think it's great. Yeah, Snag Films, which is the company that is distributing my film. They, I mean, some of the countless amazing docs you can just stream for free, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on snagfilms.com. It's, uh, Where can we see this documentary? When is it, co- what's it called? We, I, we actually didn't even <laughs> bring up what it was called. I, I said it. Don't yeah, me. yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Picking up the slack. <laughs> uh, it's called Lost for Life. Yeah. Just for now, just Google Lost for Life and you'll get to the official site. You'll see trailers. We've gotten some really incredible reviews, thankfully. And you can read those, and it'll come out probably around springtime. And you know, it, theaters are New York and L.A. for a doc, you know. But uh, it'll be on iTunes, and a TV release date will, you know, come down the line as well, right. and all that. But uh, it'll, you know, basically every platform that shit gets released these days is what it'll be. Cool. Good job, dude. Thanks for having That's me. That's great, man. Yeah, it was nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Thank you, Josh Rofe. See you at the gym. <laughs> I'll see you. <laughs> we go to the, the same. We go to the same gym. That's hilarious. The gym you went to. On a lighter note, oh, yeah. he's sort of the reason I go to that garbage gym. Well, yeah, we did. We did an episode on him. He went to the gym going to with the gym. me, and yeah. then and we basically did an episode about him going. What the fuck's going on there, man? Yeah. <laughs> why? Why is all the equipment forty three years old? Yeah. Why <laughs> they charged me thirty dollars yeah. for a one day gas pass? Like, if I use this bench machine, I'm going to get tetanus. <laughs> um, all right. And on that light, yeah, and happy note. This was a great episode. Thank you again. Finally, a Thank smart you. person. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Someone who educated us. I, I had to make up for not being famous. You know what I mean? We've had no famous people. Nah, uh, I guess we've we had. Have some, we've had a few people that are like kind of, you know, sort of sort famous. of famous and work in television. But they're so stupid. They're so dumb. <laughs> um, yeah, that's we, we don't aim for. We just want interesting. We want our friends. We want interesting people. And we want to just like laugh and have fun. And as long as they all have good bodies. <laughs> yeah. You have to be at workout. No. Uh, we're very like everyone, vain podcast. I feel like everyone we've had on works out. <laughs> to some degree. Yeah. And has like crazy weird eating habits that yeah. we get into too. <laughs> broken people. Yeah. We just have tortured broken yeah, sh- artists. We have shards. Is, is what we have. <laughs> Our guests are shards. <laughs> Our shards of humanity. <laughs> That's what it should have been called. Yeah, shards. shards of humanity with yeah. Kevin and Nick. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you again. Thanks. See you guys next time.